this, this series, the acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus set a tone in the book of Luke, which is the prequel to this book. So if you want to read the prequel to what's happening in Acts, check out the Gospel of Luke. It's, 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 a, it's setting it up. Jesus is setting the stage for, for what's happening in Acts. And, and, and so Jesus is doing this through the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit come into his people, and, and everything is being changed because there's a new community of believers that's starting. So this morning... We have made it to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be going through verses 12 through 42. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, that's, we're going to be using our Bibles this morning. So turn there. If you don't have it, have a hard copy, use your phone. Um, if you need a Bible, we'll make sure you get one uh, before you leave here today. So, so stop somewhere and talk to somebody about getting a Bible because we want you to have one. So as you're turning, I have a question. Are there any Stranger Things fans in here? Anyone who has already binged the eight episodes that came out on July 4th. All right, I'll be honest. How many of you have done it already? All right, I got three. You guys need a life, okay? Um, I'm kidding. That was really mean. I'm sorry. Uh, if some of you are like, Stranger, what? What is he talking about? Uh, it's a great... TV show, uh, but I'm not going to stand up here and endorse this TV show because there's things in there that are inappropriate, so hashtag not endorsing this TV show. Oh gosh, our youth pastor is so cool. He just used like a hashtag thing. Awesome. Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, the youth are laughing at me because I'm stupid. Okay. Um, we started, my wife and I started watching this show, and they did something that really surprised me, like the first three minutes of the first episode. They did this thing where they said, previously on Stranger Things. And I'm thinking to myself, I really haven't seen one of those since, like, I used to watch the TV show Lost. Has anyone, uh, did anyone remember that show? I'm, I, I like, oh gosh, I like TV way too much. Could you imagine if I read the Bible as much as I watch TV? You'd, like, have the best youth pastor ever. Um, so... It used to be, when you had TV shows, you would watch it one week, an episode, and then you'd have to wait a whole other week for the next episode. And you would have to sit there a whole week, just like mulling over, what's going to happen? What's going to, are they going to live? Are they going to die? And then the episode would start and it would say, previously on Lost. You know, it would have this, this little tag and then it would go through a recap of what happened previously so you can get up to date. All this to say, we are going through a series in Acts, and I'm pretty sure most of us in here are not binging the book of Acts, which, again, would it not be cool if we were? But um, that was a guilty thing to make you feel guilty that we're watching more TV than, than actually reading the Bible. But imagine what we're doing is each week we're, we're going to the next stage. So we're waiting for what's happening previously. And so I think it's kind of important. We need to have this moment. At the beginning of every sermon where we say, previously, in the book of Acts. And so we're going to do that. And, and what's really cool is, is Luke, who wrote this book, there are moments where he kind of just steps out of the story and, and, and lets the readers know, here's what's going on. Here are the highlights. Here's what's happening in the church, this new community of believers. And so it makes it really easy for us to just go back and see some recaps here. So, the first one 
happens in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, Tony Webb preached about this last month. So Acts 2, 42 through 47. Previously in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a glimpse. This is what's happening. The Holy Spirit enters the people, and this is where they are. They're meeting together. They're learning, and they're studying under the apostles. The next highlight we get is from Acts 4, 32-35, which George preached on this past Sunday. Previously in Acts, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." So we have the church devoted to the studying of of Jesus Christ, to the truths of who he is, and sharing property with each other to eliminate the needs of those in the believing community. Essentially, these highlights are are, are showing, and, and what Luke is wanting us to see, the church is becoming what humanity was originally created to be all the way back in Genesis. We have people who are consumed with understanding who God is. We have people who who just realize everything they have is given from God, so they just give it all away whenever they need it, knowing at some point they may need it, and they'll get it back. There's no ownership. There's no clinging. This is what the church is looking like. What What Luke is wanting us to see is the church is becoming who God created us originally to be. And so today in our passage, we pick up on this next moment, this next highlight, this next, this is what's happening in the church. And so if you're in your Bibles, at Acts 5, beginning with verse 12, that's where we're starting today. So read along with me. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. I'm going to pause here because we have a lot more to cover today, but I, want to, I just want to pause in this moment and, and, and say there is simply not enough time to cover everything that we're going to read, as much as I would love to. 
And as much as I'd like to be here for four hours today, just walking with you guys through this, it's, it'd get too boring. It really would. Uh, I would. I would lose your interest. So we're going to narrow our focus today. Now, I know verses 13 and 14, they're confusing back to back. Uh, it says like, so no one wanted to join them. But then in the next verse, it says more men and women came to believe and, and join their numbers. How does that work that no one wanted to join them, but more people came? And not to mention the fact that Luke just said men and women. This, this is revolutionary to actually put men and women in the same context when it, when it talks about this. So, so Luke is saying something about that. Um, and what's up with Peter's shadow? You know, like, they're bringing people in the street, so like, this is my shadow. If my shadow passed over them, boom, healed. Yeah! That's ridiculous and kind of weird. But, but what is up with that? I'd love to talk about all those things in more depth. And so if you do want to talk about those things, please come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you about the Bible. It's like one of my favorite things. So let's talk about it. Stop by my office. We'll talk about it. Email me. We'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth in emails. Uh, don't do any social media kind of thing because I won't respond. I just don't ever get on social media. So here's the deal. Reach out to me. We'll talk about those things. I would love to do that. But there is one thing I do want to point out from these five verses. The important truth that I want us to grasp is that as Christians, and we really need to understand this, as Christians, if our prayers are in line with the kingdom of God, then they will be answered. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking this, maybe not. Wait a second, Josh. There's no prayer mentioned here. So of all the things in this passage, these five verses that you're wanting to talk about, it's not even something that's in the passage. You want to talk about prayer. Now, I want you to look at verse 12, just the very beginning, the first sentence. It says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now, the verse I'm going to show you on the screen here in a second is from a prayer that the apostles gave after their persecution in chapter 4 from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. This is the prayer as they were speaking to God. Look at what they say. Stretch out your hand, God. He's talking to God. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to realize that we can't just pick something up out of the Bible and use it. Everything's connected. And, and in Acts, everything is building on each other. And so here, they, they were persecuted and they were, they, were, they were before the Sanhedrin and, and being tried. And then they pray. They say, God, do something miraculous and powerful. Signs and wonders. And here we see it happen. So much so that when Peter is walking through the crowd, his shadow, if it falls upon someone, they are healed. You see, God answered their prayers. So my question for you, the first question this morning is, how is your prayer life? Is God answering your prayers? Are you in line with God so much that when you pray for something, it's answered? Are you in line with him so much that when you pray for something, you know it's something that he wants? 
Therefore, there's no questioning that he's going to give you that answer. You see, Lily, my oldest, she knows me really well. She's really into chewing gum. She loves chewing gum. I guess it's a five-year-old thing. I don't really know. Uh, But not really, because she knows her dad loves chewing gum too. Um, And so for her, she'll come up to me and she'll say, Daddy, would you like a piece of gum? I'm like, yeah, sure, definitely. She's like, can I have one too? Oh, man, she's good. She knows. But that's how we're to be with our Father, with our Heavenly Father, God. I mean, these are the apostles. Do you want these people healed? He's like, yeah, sure. Can we heal them? That's the heart of prayer. Knowing the mind of God, knowing him so intimately that you just know he's going to do what he wants. Are we that kind of people? Are we that kind of people who pray with the power and the vigor to know, to just know this is what my father wants? And how do we know? I'm telling you, you got to read this thing. This tells us about the character of God, the heart of God, who he is and what he wants. And then there's other really important realization we need to have. The book of Acts is all about one of these major themes that we're finding over and over and over again is for us to see that God, the creator of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, has taken up residence inside of you if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have God in you. And he's ready to talk. He's ready to communicate. He's ready to lead and to move. And all you need to do is know him. Know him so well that if you ask him for something, he will give it to you. The apostles, they knew God's desire was for restoration. They knew what God was doing in the church and and making it back to to who he created the the people of this world to be, to, to heal this broken world. So he gave them the ability to perform miracles, to bring healing to people. Because he wanted the world to see that, that this wasn't a part of the original plan. And healing would bring them back to restoration. And thus more people heard the gospel because they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. And people were, were restored to their fullness. And, and also in doing this, it caught the attention of some people, some really important people called the Sadducees. And it upset them because they became jealous because they started getting more attention than they were getting. And so this is how the Sadducees reacted. Look at verse 17. We're going to actually read 17 through 32. 
Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain met with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So in chapter 4, again, when Pastor Dan preached a couple weeks ago, the last run-in these apostles had with the elders and teachers of the law, they were distinctly told, do not preach in the name of Jesus. And they're like, uh... We can't help that. That's what we're here to do. You can't stop it. And now here they are. They're healing in the name of Jesus. And the Sadducees are not going to have anything to do with this. Because these people are getting popular, more popular than them. And they're getting pretty jealous about it. So they throw them in jail. But then... Pastor Dan, again, he mentioned this several weeks back. But... The book of Acts jumps into these crazy things that are happening. And, and it just like, boom, goes. And it just keeps going over and over and over again. And here's another one of those crazy things that, that I wish I could just witness something cool like this someday. But it's like, they're in jail and all of a sudden an angel appears. And the angel opens the doors and allows them to escape and get out. But why does he allow them to escape? Not to flee for their lives. Not to run away from danger but to go to the temple courts where they were most likely arrested the first time to go back to the temple courts and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, this new life that people can receive. Friends, there is something different about this movement. There's something God is doing in the community of believers because they are just different. They're odd. They're weird. They don't raise themselves up, but they raise up the name of Jesus Christ. Again, who many think are dead. Many people still believe that Jesus is dead at this moment. 
And so they're preaching and praying and, and glorifying the name of a dead person. Not their own. They didn't care what the results were of, of, these, of, of this, these, their actions other than the fact that God would be glorified. And they knew God, and, and thus they didn't care the outcomes for their lives. Thus, these apostles, they were arrested, and, they, and, and then they escaped, and they went back doing what they were supposed to do. It's, it's different. Luke, however, does a really good job at contrasting these, these, these apostles who are not caring about themselves but caring about God with the Jewish leaders who are only caring about themselves. He's putting them up side by side. And the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of Israel, they're desiring the praise of men. They want men to, to lift them up and glorify them. That is why they're so cautious with the apostles. In verse 26, it says that they wouldn't use force for fear the people would stone them. They, they didn't use force because these apostles were getting pretty popular and they, they didn't want the people to attack them. In verse 28, the Jewish leaders, they're upset at what they're preaching about. A little bit because this is heresy to them, but mostly because they're giving them a bad name. Because what the, the apostles are preaching is that, hey, the teachers of the law, your leaders, they're the ones who crucified Jesus. And so they're giving them a bad name, and they don't want a bad name because that means people won't like them anymore. And so they reprimand them. We told you not to do this, and now we're getting in trouble for it. And so in verse 29, Peter's response is, is beautiful. Peter's response says, we must obey God rather than men. Have you ever had someone say something that seemed kind, but in reality was really not that kind at all? It was kind of like an insult. A few weeks back, I had the privilege of being alone with my children, four children, for 10 days. It was just me and my kids for 10 days. Granted, for several of those days, I had a lot of help from my parents and the McLeod family. Uh, <laughs> see, you're laughing. But I had many people come up and say to me, you know, after they found this out, they're like, wow, you're a good father. And I'm like, Thanks. Because really what they were thinking in their mind and by their facial expressions, what they were saying is, wow, you're insane. And yes, I'm insane. <laughs> no, I actually love that time. It was such a wonderful time. I, you know, that, that I got to spend me and just my four kids and my parents and the McClouds. But still, like, <laughs> it, was, it was a great time. But... When people would make that comment, because the people who were close to me is like, are you sure you want to do this? They, they meant well. And, and thank you if you were those people who came up to me and was like, hey, you're a really good father. Because I really do think I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I need to work on a lot of things, especially my anger. But still, I, it was a great time. I'm their father. Of course I should be able to be with them for 10 days. But here's the thing. 
If I went on a mission trip and Amanda was at home with the four kids, no one's going to her saying, wow, you're such a good mother for staying at home with the four kids by yourself. Because why? It's expected of her, right? The idea here is when we see Peter talking and he says, we must obey God rather than men. It's like he took his hand and just slapped all the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the face. Okay, again, going back to the analogy, by telling me I was a good father, you're not slapping me in the face. Peter's much more intentional here and mean. He's telling them how it is. Because it is obvious that these teachers of the law, all they care about is making sure the people of Israel are happy. And by being happy, they get puffed up and glorified and raised up, which means they have the power. This really did not settle well with the Sanhedrin, with the teachers of the law, with these Pharisees and Sadducees. It did not settle well with them. They were ready to put these guys to death. Because one, they're not listening, but two, they're making them look bad. Because they are doing the work of God, not the men who are supposed to be doing the work of God. And then enters this new character that we're introduced to, Gamaliel. Say that four times as fast as you can in a row. Gamaliel. Look with me at verses 33 to the end of our our passage today, verse 42. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied behind him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then this is, this is to me, it's kind of funny. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, again, after being flogged, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the news, the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 
So we're introduced to a character named Gamaliel. Though we don't realize it, at this moment in Acts at least, um, this is an actually fairly important character for a couple of reasons. But one, that, that unless you're really reading into it or have a commentary that points this out, you're not going to catch it. Look at me at Acts chapter 22, verse 3. It's going to be on the screen. This is Peter talking about his, his life. Or, I'm sorry, not Peter. This is Paul. Sorry. Paul, the apostle, talking about his life later on in the book of Acts, way later on. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. So, not only do we have Gamaliel to credit the advancement of the gospel because he's like, just let him go. But we also have him to, to credit for training Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, in much of his understanding of, of the Hebrew scriptures. Now again, Paul had the Holy Spirit and, and he helped understand the scriptures in a, in a more different way. But it was Paul who, understood, who, who studied under this man. So we're introduced to Paul's mentor. And he comes in with, with some ironic and unexpected wisdom. Gamaliel compared Jesus and his apostles to two other revolutionists. Theodos and Judas the Galilean. Yes, Theodos and Judas both had a following similar to Jesus, uh, people who came and, and followed them. And all caused strife for the Jewish leaders. But they all died. All three. Theodos, Judas, the Galilean, and Jesus. All of them died. But what Gamaliel and the rest of the Jewish governing body failed to realize is Jesus came back to life. Jesus resurrected from the grave. And that's the game changer. You see, we know this because we're reading about this in Scripture. Again, Luke set this stage up. But, but realize, these men did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they believed he was dead. And so, of course, this is going to fizzle out. Of course, this is going to die out because this definitely isn't of God. But Gamaliel, he understands something. He sees miraculous signs and wonders. He sees these two men who are arrested and put in prison or in jail, and yet somehow miraculously, with guards still in the front and the doors locked tight, they're back in the temple courts preaching. He's seeing some things happen. And he makes what I would say a wise choice. In Gamaliel's mind, Theodos and Judas, the Galilean, they're going to fizzle out. But his logic is good. A, if it's not of God, then God's going to squash it out. Or B, if it is of God, then there's no way we're going to be able to stop it. 
there's something different about this movement. The believers of Jesus Christ, they don't place themselves above others, but rather give themselves to the advancing of God's kingdom. These men who declare healing in Jesus' name, they have power that comes from God and God alone. These men and women aren't out to start a revolution, but they're out to bring salvation to the world in the name of Jesus Christ. And these men who proclaim the name of Jesus seem to have no fear of suffering. Rather, they turn their suffering into joy, going away from flogging, rejoicing. This is upside down. Yes, that was another Stranger Things reference for those of you who are paying attention. This is upside down. This is the opposite of the world. And what the book of Acts wants us to see, this is what being a Christian is like. We do things, as George put last week, things that are countercultural, that are against what the world seems to be normal. Jesus showed us that living for him is not understood by the world. The world does not comprehend what we do. Because Jesus is different, because he is weird, following him means that we are to be different, and we, yes, are to be weird. And the world simply will not understand it. And here's the kicker. And most importantly, God is behind it. Therefore, nothing can ever stop it. On Friday... We, we had, and our youth group had, a guy's night and a girl's night. And this is a really, really fun night to get um, some, some adult guys and youth guys and adult women and youth women to go out and just have a fun time. So we all gathered here. The girls went their way. The guys went their way. And the guys played paintball. The girls went geocaching and painted pottery, which was cute. And, uh, <laughs> why? Okay, anyway, um, but we all converged back here together. We had devotions, and, and then we had the main event, dodgeball. Yes. And it never fails. Now, the guys, we, this is our, our, like, fifth guys night. And probably for the past four, we have played dodgeball every time we've been together. And it never fails. The first thing that you say, and it's never initiated by the adults, though they would disagree. It's never initiated by the adults, but it's like, hey, let's do the adults versus the kids. And we're like, okay, if you guys really want to do that, I just want to say, in the four years, the adults have not lost once. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and and they, they, like, we'll play a game, and we're like, okay, guys, let's, let's split teams up and do this. And like, no, we're going to beat you. And, like, it's just, you think at some point they would understand. It's never going to happen. I mean, until they become adults and we're old, and, like, we're the really old adults, then maybe they'll win. 
But then they're the adults and it doesn't count anymore. I liken this to say, the adults, when we play dodgeball, we are an unstoppable force. (laughs) Nothing can beat us. That's what we're to be as a church. To go in with this confidence, with this vigor, with this excitement to know, hey, they may have youth on their side, but we have experience We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit and dwelling inside of us who, my goodness, this is God in you and in me. We should never have a fear of speaking the name of Jesus ever. And I'm sorry to say, I think we do have a fear. I think we are afraid. Because here's the deal. And I, I, I want you to hear the heart behind this. If it was the case that we didn't have this fear, but we understood the unstoppable force that is living with inside of us, And this church would have no empty seats, ever. People's lives would be changed. I don't mean this to make you feel guilty. I don't say this. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of this just as much as you are. I don't know why when I'm in line at the grocery store, and this, this, I mean, it is almost a perfect time to bring up Jesus, I'm having a conversation with somebody. It it just veers the other way. I even think of of this moment where I I was playing with my kids and and this this family came up and they started talking to me and our kids started playing together and, and I tried everything I could to avoid talking about Jesus. And they wouldn't let me stop. They like they made me. At some point they just brought up religion. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, oh. They're like, you know, they do the thing where they start thinking through all the things that they thought about already at that point. Why am I so afraid? I have the power of God, the living God, and dwelling inside of me. Church, we are an unstoppable force. There should be nothing that ever, ever keeps us from moving forward. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to have a, a time of, of reflection of, of this passage. And then we're going to go into a time of communion together. During this song, I want, I want us to think about the apostles. And yes, th- this was a special time, I understand. And these, these were very special men that, that Jesus anointed and pointed out and, and picked, handpicked. But they had the power of God in them. 
and they were changing the world. These, these men and, and women, Peter walking down the street in his shadow, he believes what the, the, in the power that dwells in him so intensely that even his shadow heals people. I want us to think about these apostles. And what small steps, what small ways can we begin changing our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to be that inside of us? Because we have the power to be an unstoppable force, to join in this movement. But the question is are we willing? Are we able? Would you pray with me? Holy God, powerful God, our majesty, we give you praise this morning because you are, there's just simply none like you, not even close. And so we humbly come before you saying, Wow, and thank you for taking up residence inside of us. Now please, help us, God. Help us to push aside our fears. Help us to push aside that which is inhibiting us to be this unstoppable force. Because we are ready to see lives changed. We know you. And we know that's what you want. And so, God, we want to seek after it. So help us to do it. Please. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us, please?